0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the 499th edition of the Scenes Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Come on in. The chat room is open. Talk amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer to the best of my ability. Ladies and gentlemen, last week, big news came to CONCACAF as right now. We are going to have ourselves a new broadcast partner with CONCACAF for their Nations League. It will start with the last edition, the first edition, this coming June for the semifinals and the final being taken care of. And then from that point on, it will be broadcasted on CBS platforms of apps through web-enabled devices and, of course, your smartphones to join with me to talk about this wonderful moment, and of course not just for the CONCACAF Nations League, but also for CONCACAF Women's Tournaments as well. Devin Kerr, analyst on ESPN+, Plus for, of course, USL Championship, US Open Cup, and he also does CONCACAF moments as well. Devin, good evening, and how are you? And it looks like we got somebody else on the line. So I guess I uh, thought that was Devin Kerr. Uh, thought we had him on, uh, but uh, it looks like we got somebody else on the line. I apologize. So um, I guess we're going to have a little conversation. So uh, this is 561445. Uh, if you have uh, anything on your mind, go ahead and ask. And it looks like uh, this gentleman will not be having a conversation with us. And that's okay. No problem at all. So, once again, ladies and gentlemen, um, we are having – oh, let's see here. Maybe we have someone ready to go.
2: I'm back. You got me?
1: There you are. That <laughs> is Devin. That's great. Devin, welcome back uh, to the show. Um You know, I have to tell you, Devin, it's been uh, amazing, amazing to see the growth. First things first, the growth of our confederation when it comes to not just the governance of this region, but the way that Victor Montagliani has now really stepped it up and put it in a position where all tournaments, club tournaments, national team tournaments men's tournaments, women's tournaments, it now matters. Now we're seeing the fruits of the labor really progressing and really coming into its own the, – the deal with CBS Sports to really get into soccer with CONCACAF, not just UEFA Champions League and UEFA uh, – excuse me, Europa League, but now – It looks like CBS Sports has stepped up, and, you know, you have to say for Victor Montagliani, this is a job well done.
2: Yeah, it's a heck of a coup, and I think you need to really take a step back because it's easy as a fan to go, wow, we're going to get this and we're going to get that. I think you really need to even go bigger here, Daniel, because if you think about it, just less than 10 years ago, pay-per-view, in order to see World Cup qualifiers outside of this country, I mean, that's how far it's come in just under a decade. And that's pretty scary to to talk about when you consider the names, you know, that's, that's almost the height of Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey, Tim Howard. I mean, you're talking about a relative who's who the golden generation for United States men's national team. And, you know, the women's national team, NWSL, they started to the pave this way last year, you know, with their deal with CBS, um, you know, it's going to be rebranded. as a paramount plus, and you now have the opportunity where, Coming into the, you know, 2019, 2020, it was ESPN+, plus ESPN+. Plus. Now it's almost like, wow, I mean, it, it, does CBS now reign supreme with their Paramount+. plus? I mean, you are talking Europa League, Champions League, and WSL. You mentioned the World Cup qualifiers are going to get CONCACAF Nations League. You also get First Division in Brazil and Argentina. I understand there's a massive amount of content on ESPN+. plus. But I'd be hard pressed to not argue the fact that Paramount Plus is going to be right there.
1: I absolutely agree. And I'm not saying, you know, no one can challenge what ESPN has done, you know, not just with all their platforms on television and and satellite, of course, but the amount of content they're bringing, uh, not just soccer across the globe. Across the Atlantic, but you know The internal of what's going on here What they've done with USL Championship USL League 1, they've also Had matches now, of course The Bundesliga in Germany They have Serie A uh, from Italy And of course we all know they have the uh, Championship and the FA Cup As well on their platform, with Open Cup Here in the States, and MLS as well But, you know, how much More could they get, and to see What CBS has said, you know what we're going to step in ourselves. I, I really think CBS is going to challenge now, legitimately challenge ESPN for these platforms of leagues, tournaments, whatever have you, and to see the success they've had, I believe with UEFA Champions League and, the, and Europa League, we're seeing a major switch being made from your traditional – uh, three-channel sports networks that we are normally seeing regular American sports leagues being a part of.
2: Yeah, you're spot on. And, you know, coming into, let's see, we're in 21. You know, it's it's even bad that you have to think about it now, given the way things have gone. But, you know, remember coming into 2020, it was, we had already hit the point where we were like, oh, okay, they, they pick our, excuse me, 2019, the fall. They, you know, CBS picked up the coverage early. Um, from Turner in terms of Champions League. And everybody kind of went okay. And, and hearing the growing pains behind the scenes, they were literally starting from scratch in a lot of different areas. But they were dedicated and they had a vision. And having the opportunity firsthand to to hear those conversations and know how much effort was being put in, not just by people that had been at the network for quite some time, but you know, the recruitment of individuals from the outside. I think right away you got a good glimpse of what they were willing to go after because of the analytical point of views they were able to bring in. Um studio host Kate Abdo was fantastic. And then that basically took shape with every single soccer venture that they've done so far, be it NWSL, in Europa League as well. And now you're branching out into the international side of things where, you know, they're gonna they're not just dipping their toes in, right? I mean this is diving in head first but they've got a lot of runners with them. And for me, it it just kind of – you turn your head a little bit and go, 18 months ago, this wasn't even a topic of conversation at all that this would be possible. And now to your point, like you said, now they're right there in the pecking order where they could be arguably the number one holder of broadcasting rights, especially because, lest we forget, 2022 MLS and U.S. soccer – that that renews itself, and you know that's when the partnership ends. So the domestic rights expires. You wonder where that's going to go. You could make similar arguments for USLs right there. They could be right in tow. So it's easy for us to think, okay, it's Champions League here, but then they acquire this, they acquire that, and the next thing you know, in basically a three-and-a-half to four-year span, they've wrapped their arms around everything.
1: Let me ask you this. With the way that the CONCACAF Champions League ended – Uh, in December, which, you know, you and Mike Watts called a brilliant semifinal between LAFC and Club America. And then, of course, that great final with LAFC and Tigris. And we all know Tigris was really chomping at the bit because that's the one thing that Tuca Ferretti wanted in his, uh, you know, in his um, resume, that big Continental Cup championship, you know, for the club. Um, Do you think... CBS was watching that, and do you think CBS said to themselves, you know what, let's push, let's really push for North America and in CONCACAF in general?
2: That's a fantastic question, and I would say that they were already in the works for that, for sure. Um, I I think in terms of where this could go in the future, that's obviously got to be a bit more um, predetermined, calculated, if you will. They, they've got to think bigger picture and long-term. But, you know, coming in, they had already acquired the rights for Turner and it was going to be in the fall, and then they picked it up early. Okay, great. Then when you're looking at CONCACAF, that, that was already in the back pocket. And the reason I say that is CONCACAF has bounced around for a couple rights holders over the past few years and hasn't really found itself a home. Um, you know, whether, whether it be via broadcast. Um, other interviews or you and I even just having a chat um, behind the scenes, you know, you and I have spoken and we just had like, it It became difficult. Right. I mean, it's look, I'm, I'm calling games for them and it, and it got almost exhausting at certain points in time because in, you know, it's okay. It's on, some games are on TUDANE, Some games are on Fox. Some games are on CONCACAF GO. Some games are on Yahoo. And this just kept bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. And in order for this to continue to grow, Of course, it's going to change hands. We see that with the World Cup. We see that the way that MLS plays itself out in terms of playoff and and who gets the final and all that stuff. But there needs to be some sort of regularity, and CBS stepping in provides that. It gives them the opportunity to give you the big-name games that you expect, like your Champions League. People don't just want to show up when it comes to the Olympics or when it comes to um, World Cup qualifying and go, oh, well, I heard they did this. I read an article that did that. Now you can actually follow every single thing, right? You can follow every single player. You know, you can follow guys who from the United States are outside of MLS, and you can see all of these games. That's important. That's important for the fact that the fans want to know what's going on. But for the growth of this sport, understand that if you don't have the ability to continuously put this in front of fans who are on the fence or are trying to get into it, how do you then convince them to bypass the other sports, the big ones, you know, football, baseball, basketball? How do you ask them to push that aside and then go search down a rabbit hole to get their, themselves on the footage? That's not an option, not whatsoever. So good on CBS. They recognize that the niche is there. They understand it's continuing to grow. Every single year we take big strides. They need to keep going and keep pushing. And everybody behind the scenes is trying to do that. And I can, I'm not going to say names who I know was involved at CBS, but I can tell you that the the few people that I do know, they knew exactly what they were doing They had a plan, and I think they've executed it to a T so far.
1: So far, let's not forget their online um, CBS Sports HQ. Uh, of course, Ian Joy, Poppy Miller, Jimmy Conrad. Uh, they had Demarcus Beasley on last year uh, for their online news uh, cycle on their computers, on your uh, laptops, web-enabled devices. The analyzing... Of the Champions League and Europa Leagues moving forward, I mean, to have their influence, I think, as well. And I bet they probably even asked them for their opinions. What should we do? Because don't get me wrong, we all know that the UEFA European Championships, club tournaments, you know, whatever you want to do, you know, we all know that's the biggest prize to have when it comes to World Club Soccer. But... What's going to happen within, you know, in CONCACAF? What's going to happen here? And like you've already said, they needed to remain in one place and one place only because you've got to stop bouncing around so much. I personally felt, Devin, that in 2018, the CONCACAF Champions League, not saying 2020 was terrible even though we had the pandemic and it, it put the brakes on the tournament, Still, though, I always felt that if you had Fox or NBC or even you know ESPN in the States to broadcast these games to see how the Red Bulls were doing and the Toronto FC was doing and the, the, the strides they made, of course, Toronto got into the final. The Red Bulls had a hell of a semifinal uh, ties with Guadalajara, who won the eventual title. You know, this would have been probably the biggest point of the Champions League were to say, you know what, it's time to throw CONCACAF into a larger spotlight.
2: Yeah, it's a good shout. And and remember that that was the the record breaking year for Toronto. I mean they seemingly like they won everything, right? Um they they could do mm-hmm. no wrong. I, I still I still remember Josie Altador celebrating and um it, it was it, it's a good thought. The only thing I would say is that there is an interesting demographic that starts to separate itself when it comes to the Canadian teams. Um, it, it does branch itself off a little bit. I think Toronto gets somewhat of a pass on that um, mm-hmm. o- only because it's number one, it's not way the heck out there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, for, for lack of better terminology, you know, it's, um, it's not Vancouver, it's not Montreal. And um, you know, they've had more frequent success. So I, I think with those guys there, they they got a bit more of a pass, but yeah, they definitely missed a window it's it's frustrating at times, right? To sit back and, and as a fan, um, as a commentator, it's almost like second nature of common sense sometimes where you look and go, how are we not doing this? How are we not doing that? Um, that was one of the years. I believe that, that was the year, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was the Yahoo year. Um, yeah. At least I know that the, I know the, um, the round of 16 or round of eight and, and semifinals were, um, I don't remember where the final was or not, um, but yeah, it's again, but it, I mean, look, but think about that. The, we're talking about, we're talking about the Federation's champions league. And I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head where the final was, but you're right. Like e- even, even now though, like it is still difficult to find out and I'm calling these games, man, it's still difficult to yeah. find out, uh, you know, Fox, Fox two, you know, wh- what are, what are we going to be on 48, 72 hours? from kickoff time, that's not a knock on, on the network. That's a knock on the system in general. Um, I do think that things could be better. I think things could always be better, but at the same point in time, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. I think Turner did an abominable job in terms of the champions league and their handling of UEFA, Mm -hmm. but CBS recognized that, you know, and CBS recognized it. They know what worked. They know what didn't Um, primarily on the back end of that, they scooped it up. And they've never looked back. I mean, hitting the ground running would be almost detrimental to a compliment to them because they were far superior to that statement. I mean, this, they were way down the road. And you started at the beginning of it where, for me, it all starts with the studio coverage. Kate Abdo, oh, yeah. um, outside of Rebecca with, with NBC, I think the two of them um, do an absolutely amazing job. Um, Roberto Martinez gives you great insight. You saw that at the World Cup as well. Um, Jamie Carragher, uh, you know, Liverpool legend. You'll never walk alone. I'm I'm a huge Liverpool fan, as you know, and I think he does. Richards does a great job, too. And then the guys that they bring in, um, you know, Schmeichel's been in there, Alex Scott. I mean, they they continuously give you the regularity of the studio crew, but then they bring in the personalities from the outside, well-respected, decorated players who are not only people that played the game at a high level, they're capable of conveying that and conveying it in a way that's not demeaning to the general public because there are plenty of announcers who almost speak down to you. They almost make you feel like you don't belong or it's very difficult to follow. That's not what you get with CBS coverage. You know, they give you the ability to follow along easily. They make you want to know more. You know, people aren't, they're not getting up at halftime and wandering away. They want to see the analysis. They want to know what they should be looking for because, you know, it's easy for us. We've been around the game for so long. We we know what we want to look for. And, if they mention something during the match, we're keeping an eye on it. For the everyday Joe Schmo, you know, who's just getting into the match, that's not the case anymore. And now with this broadcast platform, they'll take the same exact formula that worked for Champions League. They're obviously going to gonna tailor it when it comes to CockyCalf Champions League. You know, now you get the international level. And I think this is just the perfect storm in terms of coverage for a network because you've got your hands from an American standpoint. And we all know – so many Americans playing abroad and being successful, you now have your hands on almost, almost every single league possible, at least on the higher end so that you can see these guys on a regular basis. You put them in the homes of the American public, Weston McKinney, the list goes on and on and on. You can bring these guys in and it's easy enough to dictate what you see, how often you see it. And the people that are telling you how to do it again, I just think it's a home run.
1: I think so too. Uh, and, you know, I want to give uh, Montagliani more credit. This is a quote he wrote, uh, that was in the article from CONCACAF's website. When we launched these new competitions, our motivation was to provide more competitive football for men's and women's national teams in our region. With the backing of our member associations, we put the sport first and structured things in a way that we believed would attract fans and potential partners. This new agreement validates that approach, and we know Paramount, of course, Paramount Plus will be the app uh, that you have to get from your either uh, Apple Store or Google Play Store, uh, will be a great platform to showcase CONCACAF football. And once again, um, here's the thing, Devin, and I, I try not to look back too much, but the failures of Jeffrey Webb, sadly, is now the victories of Victor Montagliani on how he has structured this confederation, how he's made this confederation the forefront of of world football in this region, and the eyes are now looking over here and saying, you know what? There's a possibility that you cannot mess around with any nation, either it be North America, Central America, or even in the Caribbean zone, that you're going to take lightly from now on.
2: Recognize this too, to add to that in terms of, and I'm going to go selfish here for a second, being a you know American citizen. Think about where you're at for United States soccer and the coverage that you're at with the players that are coming through. We've got Olympic qualifying, you know, le- less than three weeks away. Um, obviously mm-hmm. world cup qualifying will continue in the fall. Um, when you start with the Olympic qualifying, We've missed the last two cycles, 2012 and 2016, oh, yeah. did not qualify. And that's obviously a terrible thing. But when you look at the actual talent pool, we were at a point in time where, in my personal opinion, guys that were trying to make their way into the national team, guys that were at the Olympic level, they weren't, they weren't big household names. And they were stuck in between this veteran group where you had, you know, again, at that point in time, you had your – Um, You had your big names in, you know, of course, Brad Guzan was still around. It is still around Tim Howard, Um, DeMarcus Beasley. I mentioned Uh, Landon Donovan, of course. And, and what I'm getting at is you had kind of the old guard, right? You, you had the, and I say old with a very, very light feather there, but you had those guys. And then there was this huge massive gap with an inability to qualify for the Olympic team, um, Olympics, excuse me, in 12 and 16. And then we had almost the second coming, a rebirth of talent, which now we're starting to see trickle through, a la the McKinney's, as I mentioned, Kristen Polisic, of course, and and I I don't want to be rude and, and not forget someone, but the list is literally that deep. You just keep adding names, and Josh Sargent, and Tyler Adams, and so on and so forth. So now you've gotten to a point where those guys, by the way, many of whom are eligible for the Olympic qualifying, it probably won't get picked, but you've got these guys who are capable of taking the United States name, giving it another positive spin because they have the opportunity to qualify for the Olympics. You go down the line a couple of months. Okay, now let's continue on because we know the debacle that was the lack of ability to qualify for the World Cup alongside the Olympics. So now you can almost, almost back that up again this fall or at least put yourself in a very good position to do so. Um, and then you turn the page again, and it's like, okay, so Olympic qualifying – Nations League, and it's continuously just putting this in the, in the viewers' home. We didn't have that before, and I think it's really important to note that because, okay, we didn't have it before, but not having it and not having it coming off of what was such a dismal couple of years on the national stage, now an opportunity to get back into the limelight and do it in such a positive fashion while grabbing all of these viewers as well. Remember, this is the same network that has the Masters. I mean, th- these are massive sporting events globally, and now you have the opportunity from a United States standpoint to grab that viewership, you know, everything outside of the country for the away games for the qualifiers. That's a huge step. I mean, you look at the numbers from a viewership standpoint and, and I'm not being disrespectful to NWSL at all. Cause those numbers are huge. But when you look at the domestic leagues, NWSL leads, they're number one for sure, usually. And then you've got league MX. I mean, now you've got all of that viewership. United States plays at Mexico. Paramount Plus, give it to me, you know? I mean, that that's that's amazing. And I think they have a real, true, amazing opportunity to capitalize on it, and it starts from leadership. You know, you mentioned Jeffrey Webb. I get it. Um, I, 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 It's very difficult for some of those guys for me to comment on them because I think it's easy for us to analyze, of course. Having never been in their shoes and not knowing what they go through – that's harder for me. You know, it's easier for me in terms of a playing standpoint to to pick out players because I've been in their shoes. Not being a front office type guy, that's hard. But spinning it from a positive nature, look, outside of what you're missing in the the eight final round this fall, we've already got five teams. You've got United States, Mexico, Costa Rica, Jamaica, Honduras. The other three come out of a field of 30. Those games are played between March and June. Those are literally the only games that CBS doesn't have every other game. I I don't know how you couldn't spend the money to watch this.
1: Yeah. I agree. I absolutely agree. And thank goodness that, uh, you know, the, uh, the way that the structure of world cup qualifying was uh, before it's been turned into this. And you know what? I'm very happy. We got a better structure right now uh, by CONCACAF for world cup qualifying to go into Qatar in 2022. The future of the Confederation to me is looking to be brighter, better, obviously bigger. What's been going on, the expansion of the CONCACAF Champions League. CONCACAF League has been a fantastic revelation for all these other teams coming from Central America, coming from the Caribbean, coming from Canada with, of course, uh, the Canadian Premier League teams. I mean, look what Hamilton Forge has done. And now they're going to have themselves, you know, an opportunity to fight with Toronto FC for one of those spots in the Champions League representing, the, representing Canada. When have you ever seen it come something like this so quickly? I mean, like what, two years now for the Canadian Premier League, and all of a sudden Hamilton Forge is going to be battling the big bad TFC for that spot in the Champions League? That's amazing.
2: Yeah, they've got a. I don't know if you've heard. Have you heard the backstory on what they're going through in order to do that? By the way, Hamilton.
1: No, I have not.
2: So they're basically like, it, they're basically bringing back a team. Ten, I think it's ten days prior. Like they haven't been playing at all. They're coming back ten days prior to their match and then playing their match. Um, so they, an, an uphill battle would be putting it politely. Um, but yeah, you're spot on. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in order to, in order to compete at the global level, you have to start becoming relevant. And, um, you know, I grew up as a kid who, you know, I, I mentioned I've always been a Liverpool fan. I, you know, that, that's been for me since the late 80s, early 90s. You know, I was like five or six years old when I became a Liverpool fan. And I always love the United States men's national team, but I love them because I'm from this country. I didn't watch CONCACAF. You know, I wasn't into – what was going on there. Like, you know, at that point in time, it's, again, I, I mentioned the 10 years, how we had to go through pay-per-view back then. Now I'm going back even further. I mean, I'm going back. I don't want to date myself too much, but you know, 20, 20 plus years. <laughs> um, <laughs> in order, in order to get the viewership on that. Now you're just talking impossible. Um, you know, I can remember watching my family used to have a home in new Orleans and I can remember being on the Riverwalk watching the 90 world cup. And, you know, that little soccer ball, Italian logo in the upper right corner. And and they were actually had it on satellite and it was in Italian, you know, gone are those days. Now we have the opportunity to, and I was going to get to this, but I'll, I'll transition now. Now we have the opportunity where like it or not, you don't have to have an entire production on site. And I think a lot of people are quick to look at COVID and say, Oh, you know, they're figuring out ways. No, the ways were going that direction before COVID even happened, if anything, COVID gave it a little bit of a push. And it is something that from a viewership standpoint, and even and even professionally on my end, that you can take positives out of it. Look, I live in an area of the United States, I'm fortunate, but I live in an area of the United States where I can, in a single day, I can call a USL game, an Open Cup game, an MLS game, you know, a, a World Cup qualifier, a Champions League game. What I mean by that is, is there are studios in the area where they bring you in, we do a remote broadcast, and they can give you access to quality coverage on games that you want to see anyway. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, pulling in the international satellite feed and listening to that by no means whatsoever, but with an opportunity with quality coverage, to now pipe that into your home service, it's fantastic. You know, and I can, I can sit there and chill. And like I said, you know, I can run through all of those and then turn around and go to work. That wasn't the case for a long period of time. And nope. what that does is that bridges the gap where you start to compete viewership-wise, not only with leagues, but broadcasts, right? So, so now it's not, right. it's not CONCACAF versus UEFA. It's CBS and ESPN. And when those two yeah. start doing battle and they start throwing money back and forth at each other – Those guys don't want to lose, just like the players on the field. None of them want to lose money in terms of viewership and deals and everything. I mean, sponsorship's going to be massive. They don't want to lose, which means they're going to pour their heart and souls into these coverages to make sure they're getting the best out of them. Because if they don't, Daniel, we're going to see exactly what happened to Turner. They're going to get knocked out of the ring before they even stepped in. Somebody else is going to swoop in, pick it up, and it's going to turn to fortune. And that's exactly what's going on with CBS. ESPN laid the groundwork. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. They're still getting better. I would argue that CBS has made bigger strides in a smaller amount of time.
1: I absolutely agree, and I cannot wait to see the coverage they're going to give for Paramount Plus, of course. That will be the app for everyone to watch on their web-enabled devices. Um, And I know for a fact Devin will be a part of this as well, and this is going to be absolutely fantastic. Devin, thank you as always for just jumping on the show uh, great news for CONCACAF, great news for you, of course, and, of course, the production team you work with to get this done. It's absolutely amazing to see what the strides have been made by CBS, and uh, hopefully this partnership will continue to flourish. Thank you again for joining me tonight. Be careful and be safe, and I'll talk to you again soon, my friend.
2: Thanks. Have me on, buddy. We'll speak soon. Be well.
1: Yep, we'll speak soon. Devin Kerr, analyst on you on ESPN Plus for USL Championship Also, Open Cup, U.S. Open Cup, and CONCACAF events. It's just exciting to continue to look and see the future of soccer growing in America. It's not just what goes on with UEFA, but now what's going on within CONCACAF. My next guest tonight will talk about, as we've already spoken about, United Soccer Leagues. They are changing up their financial structure For their clubs and uh, to report about that and to talk about it as well from the Sports Business Journal, Sports Business Daily, of course. I'm glad to join on my show for the very first time. The man that wrote the article, David Rumsey, joins me right now. David, good evening. How are you? And I hope things are going well where you are.
0: Hey, doing great. How are you? Thanks for having me on.
1: Very well. Thank you very much. Well, David, um, you know, we always talk about the survival of lower-level soccer here in this country. We all know MLS has done a very good job. Of course, we all know uh, their single entity uh, keeps them afloat. Um, it's it's basically all the owners that join in. They help with the finances going forward. Of course, you know, building soccer stadiums is also part of that situation. More teams coming in. Of course, Austin FC starts this year, Charlotte FC comes in next year. But the main question has always been, what happens with the survival of some clubs that are in the lower levels? Like with USL Championship as the second division, USL League One as the third division, League Two, of course, which I think which is more amateurish, but uh, not meaning it's an amateur setup, just saying it's more for amateur leagues and amateur players and amateur clubs at that level. But what has you... Uh, Jake Edwards, the president of the United Soccer Leagues, what has he done to now uh, ensure that these clubs will not die a financial death?
0: Yeah. So on uh, Friday I reported uh, about a new uh, kind of revenue structure that the USL had implemented um, actually for the 2020 season. And it was just kind of coming to light now. And that's their club dividend plan where they're sharing all of their national revenue from media and from sponsorships uh, with the clubs. So they've committed to give uh, 50% of that revenue back to the clubs, share it with them in one way or another, whether that's um, straight checks of just cash back to the clubs or, um, you know, helping subsidizing certain programs uh, for those clubs to participate in uh, one way or another. Um, A lot of clubs have been able to, um, get a little bit of cash influx or um, expense offset or or something like that um, during the 2020 season, um, which was just from the media revenue. And then for this 21 season coming up, they've added in uh, sponsorship revenue, which should increase it a little bit more. So that's kind of the gist of what the USL is trying to do to kind of give back some money and uh, help with the uh, financial health of their clubs,
1: as they say. Oh, no, that's absolutely fantastic, and obviously it's been rough. I mean, we've seen in recent years, um, I should say maybe last year, the the only maybe a season of Lansing United in Lansing, Michigan. I mean, we know the owner of the club was also a uh, the owner of the minor league baseball team, the Lansing Lugnuts, uh, to play at their baseball stadium. And, of course, you know, mm-hmm. they had massive support. They They filled every single seat in that minor league baseball stadium. And then it was like after one year, it was all done and dusted. And, of course, within the uh, second coming of the uh, North American Soccer League, the San Francisco Delta, they win the last year. They win the last Soccer Bowl title. And then, of course, they disappear because they were just one and done. It was just incredible to see that happen. And, you know, do you think this will be the – the savior mechanism to making sure clubs don't disappear after a couple of years or so?
0: Well, that's certainly a a good question and something to ponder. I don't know if I would say that this is uh, the savior for the USL or any, you know, one particular club um, specifically, you know, every club has their own challenges, whether it's the market, uh, they play in other competitors uh, in the area. And that could be for uh, the top of the, USL are you know going down the ladder like you were saying so no I don't think it's going to be a savior but I think um, this is a good uh, important step the league is taking to make sure that their clubs have a little bit more um, assistance right it's difficult for any sporting organization and and in this case um, lower tier soccer teams it's it's tough to uh, kind of meet the bottom line right you have players you have Coaches, you know, you got to spend your marketing dollars. You uh, whether you're renting a stadium, or operating a stadium, uh, whatever. You know, nothing is cheap. So there's all these expenses, and uh, they want to bring in as much revenue as they can, especially if they're not uh, connected to uh, some kind of parent organization or parent team in the MLS or elsewhere. So yeah, bringing in some revenue can certainly help um, the some maybe more struggling teams from folding. Um, but I think really the bigger idea of this is just to kind of help out a little bit and really um, make these teams a little bit more uh, competitive with each other because part of this plan uh, is uh, one of the functions is, you know, the better you perform on certain metrics, the, the more dividends you're going to get, the more cash you're going to get, the better support you're you're going to get. So that's a more uh, national TV appearances. Uh, if you bring more fans into the stadium, if you uh, participate in more of these league subsidized programs, all of those things uh, as a club are going to qualify you to receive uh, more and better dividends uh, from the league. So I think that's a really interesting aspect. That uh, yeah, they want to uh, um, you know assist the financial health uh, of these clubs, but they also want to kind of motivate them to uh, put a better product out there, uh, motivate them to uh you know be creative in filling their stands and uh, stuff like that.
1: Absolutely. Um I think you also mentioned these USL clubs that are owned by uh Major League Soccer sides. Obviously, the majority of the league Uh, has a USL club team with the exception of probably New York City FC and maybe one or two others, which we'll see what happens down the road, but would they be uh, affected by this situation as well, or will this just be standalone clubs that are not affiliated with an MLS side?
0: So any club in the top two divisions can receive dividends uh, from the league in this uh, club dividend plan. There's no, no restrictions on that, so that's definitely, um, you know, it's it's fair game uh, across the board for those top two divisions. Any club that, you know, makes a national TV appearance or, you know, has a certain number of sellouts or, you know, meets a, an attendance minimum or it does any of these things that the league has set out as metrics to qualify, you know, they'll be eligible. And, um, you know, the better you perform in those metrics, uh, the more you're going to get back from the
1: league. It's It's as simple as that it's fantastic to hear and you know it's about time. I don't know how many times you've heard these uh, horror stories uh, of of hearing about these clubs coming into their own and lower level soccer and then after two or three even maybe four or five years uh, they've disappeared they've they're not able to maintain the finances the finances to um, you know continue to exist and then they just wither away and die. Uh, We've seen, of course, in California, in the Bay Area, at Stadium, there was uh, Deportivo Deportivo La Coruña who had a club ready to go, but they just couldn't keep up with the finances to stay afloat. We've had, of course, recently Charleston Battery. They're still around, but they sold off Blackbaud Stadium so that they can move to uh, Centenary College uh, in the Charleston, South Carolina area, just so they can continue to play their games, they sold the land that held their stadium. Do you feel that maybe with this, uh, clubs can, you know, like you said, um, they can operate the stadiums that they perform in. Uh, they can pay their rent to whoever owns those stadiums, or even build their own stadium somewhere down the road. Is that possibility?
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly a good question, um, a good thought. And maybe down the road, uh, as this program expands and the league expands and starts to create uh, more revenue as a whole, that could become a reality. I don't think right now in this initial uh, three-year trial program, uh, three-year trial run of this program that's going to run through 2022, I don't think the revenue coming in for these teams is going to be enough for them to say, hey, this is going to get us started. Um, on a brand new stadium. But what I think it is going to do is is it's going to say, well, uh, you know, if we have a little bit of a surplus um, and we could, you know, allocate it there, put it to this, then maybe those teams are going to start thinking about, hey, why don't we put it towards something in the stadium or just something to, you know, better the fan experience? Because in the long run, you know, or just a year year from that point, not even a super long run, you know, we're going to be getting a little bit of money back from the league if we fill the stands a a little bit better. So it's kind of a trade off there that I think is um, uh, really good because when you have uh, as a club, an incentive to fill the stands other than just, Hey, we're selling this ticket, but yeah, we're selling this ticket. Then we're also going to get rewarded by the league. Then uh, you're going to be trying a little bit harder to uh, fill the stands, to uh, have a better product on the field, because you're going to get put on TV if you're winning games, right? If you're an entertaining team. So I think it's all, about incentivizing these teams, motivating these teams to really put a you know more attractive, more enjoyable product uh, all together uh, for the league.
1: From the outside looking in, since Jake Edwards has become president of the United Soccer Leagues, in your opinion, what type of job has he done to make uh, these leagues below MLS relevant, strong, and now, I guess, financially relevant uh, not yet secure, but it's starting to go there in some ways.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I think it's a slow process, right? I mean, everybody knows, any soccer fan knows that, you know, soccer it isn't the top dog in the United States. It's not even, you know, maybe the second or third dog, depending on who you talk to, but it has its place, right? And the MLS is growing and we have the World Cup coming in 2026 and, Anybody you talk to in soccer, the USO included, is really excited about the momentum building and really, um, you know, the, the chances there is to really even grow even further, you know, in the second half of this decade after that tournament finishes. And, you know, people are going to be so excited about that. It is the hope, right? So I think um, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, creating these soccer leagues below MLS, um, it's a slow burn, but but I think it's working and I and I think – Uh, the USO in particular is doing a good job there. They have a good media partner in ESPN. And like I said earlier, each club is going to have its own challenges. Some are going to be more successful than others, but as a whole, it seems like they're on the right track.
1: No, that's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, (laughs) so many times people keep forgetting, you know, if we're going to have a healthy, uh, a, a healthy sport, doesn't matter where it is or how the structure is, you know, it all has to be finding a way to be copacetic, uh, within themselves, because as much as, you know, you have to root for the big teams and the big names and those big stadiums, of course, uh, in major league soccer, for all of us to have, um, a positive influence for players to come into this sport to, uh, you know, have a place to play if you don't have it regularly somewhere outside the country or at least outside the region, uh, you're going to get stuck. And so far, I think, uh, what I've seen, um, it's finally growing, it's getting better. And uh, let's just hope this continues on. Uh, is that what you've seen so far?
0: Yeah, I think so. And, and to my earlier point, I think there's a lot of uh, excitement around soccer and it's, uh, it's, it's growing and I think that that world cup coming up later this decade is really important. And that's what uh, so many uh, leagues and players in the industry are really looking forward to. You look at a uh, MLS and the players and they're, they're putting their CBA up until right after uh, the world cup. Cause everybody is just expecting this uh, huge uh, boom from excitement around the game, which, you know, it makes sense. It, it will probably be the case. So it's, it's definitely growing. Obviously, uh, now I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. Everybody was so excited when uh, we finally got the expansion MLS side, uh, Charlotte FC. It took a while. It took a rich owner in uh, David Tepper to get there. But there's uh, there's countless other cities who, who have got that and wanted the same thing or are still looking for it. And every market has its challenges. But I, I think soccer does have its place. And as long as, uh, you know, organizations and those in charge know you know within reason what that place is there's no reason that uh teams and leagues can't be a a healthy enjoyable product that's gonna you know trend upwards
1: let me throw this at you if you don't mind what do you think about david tepper uh david tepper attempting the psls at uh bank of america stadium for charlotte fc when they come in because apparently that kind of caused an uproar that uh I don't recall seeing any MLS team, whether it be the Sounders in Seattle at CenturyLink Field, Red Bull Arena uh, in here where I am, or you know uh, Foxborough in, Mass- in uh, Massachusetts at Gillette, or even um, BBVA Compass Stadium in Houston. I've never heard about the private the PSLs coming into MLS. What do you think about Tepper moving into that direction for Charlotte Yeah, State?
0: no. Yeah, that that uh, that certainly made some waves, and I, I think you're right. It is the the first uh, MLS team to implement uh, PSLs, and uh, while those uh, in the game or those uh, expecting it to kind of be a status quo might be uh, a little upset or uh, taken aback, taken off guard, um, it, it's not super surprising knowing uh, the kind of sports owner that David Tepper is. I mean, when he bought the Panthers, he came in, he was very aggressive in uh, some of the upgrades and, you know, organizational organizational changes that he wanted to make. So, yeah, I mean, it it might be kind of a shock to people who are saying, well, nobody else in MLS does this, but um, you know, you could look five years from now and and that's how it is that, you know, the majority, if not all of teams, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but um, you know, as these owners come in from uh, other leagues, whether they're NFL owners buying in the MLS or, MLB or NBA or or what have you, just new owners in general, they're going to push the envelope forward. They're going to try new things. And, you know, in the end, um, you know, the people with the money make the decisions, and that's kind of how it goes.
1: No, I absolutely agree, and we'll see what happens down the road. Of course, they'll be ready to go in 2022. Uh, Hopefully, uh, I'll be able to come on down. And uh, I've never been to Charlotte. I've only only seen it on television when it comes to – Uh, the Hornets or to uh, the uh, Panthers, but uh, I definitely am going to take a trip down there and uh, we'll see what's going to happen. But uh, David, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. Please remain strong and vigilant during the pandemic and hope to have you back on sometime soon. You have a good night, sir.
0: Thanks a lot. You have a great one.
1: Thank you. Take care. David Rumsey, the sports business journal covering the USL uh, financial, pardon me, covering the uh, USL, Uh, financial mechanisms to make everyone happy, keep the clubs afloat, keep the leagues afloat in USL championship and league one. So uh, this is going to be exciting. And uh, I personally uh, hope it will continue to be strong and good. And, you know, I keep saying this many, many times. It's not so much what major league soccer does. We all know they are the top dog. They're the top division in American soccer, but we also have to look at the lower levels. We always have to look at the bottom Places, Not the bottom feeders. Bottom places. We have to care about second division, third division, fourth division, amateur division, and so on, and so on, and so on. Because once we do that, we will have healthy leagues, we'll have growth, and we will definitely see a possibility of changes being made. Uh, Somewhere down the road. It all depends on what happens and how it will happen and why it will happen. So that's all I can say about that. Um, As we all know, um, this – and I want to keep abreast of the uh, Kaku situation, of course. Uh, He has already had his press conference, of course, Kaku um, being without Talon. In Saudi Arabia, if I mispronounce the name, I apologize, Al-Tawan uh, in Saudi Arabia, he claims that the business with the Red Bulls is over. Uh, we don't have to worry about that anymore. We have not heard – I have not heard of any updates currently with the New York Red Bulls or Major League Soccer when it comes to Kaku. Uh and his contract that is still there, apparently the saudi arabian f a says everything looks fine unless we are not aware of anything, but you know they'll allow the process to play out and once again, the saudi arabian f a um allowing this transfer, which I still feel is illegal, still illegal, until the New York Red Bulls announced that they've transferred kaku to Saudi Arabia until it's officially been said on the New York Red Bull side of things. Um until now, I call it illegal. It's an illegal transfer ...it was made by Kaku and I personally feel that he and I understand you want to go into a better place. You want to go somewhere else. You don't want to be there anymore. But the truth is is that, you know, here in the in MLS the contract is valid. Contract is signed. We all understand that he wanted to go somewhere else. He, he wanted to be somewhere else. But when you are pushing the narrative and when you're forcing yourself to leave, leave the club that you're in, you know, don't no. No. You have a valid contract. We all know this is happening all the time. We all know this. Players always transfer to other clubs, no matter how big or how small their names are. But the truth is, is that until we get confirmation from the New York Red Bulls, we get confirmation from U.S. soccer, and of course, it feels like we're going to probably make a move towards the court of arbitration of sport because this is illegal of what has happened. The New York Red Bulls activated a club option to extend Kaku. And, to, in my opinion, Kaku should not be in Saudi Arabia right now. Uh, like I said, I believe the transfer is uh, invalid. I think the transfer is illegal. I think FIFA has to step in and put themselves in position to say, well, has the club agreed to transfer you? And if he says no... Well, then, you're not supposed to be in Saudi Arabia. You're supposed to be in the United States. And this is where I keep saying this, and this is where I want everyone to understand this. This has happened before with San Vezo going to Club León. It wasn't Club León. It was another club. Quietaro, I apologize. Club Kiritaro, who brought San Viso over when he was still in MLS, still had a viable contract. Kyle Lauren going to to Turkey to play first division, even though he was still under contract with Orlando City. We understand the players want to go abroad. They want to improve themselves for their national teams. We understand that. But once again, we are at the point where a contract is valid and a contract means something. When you say this, it's the truth because my opinion is that from outside of certain nations, outside of Western Europe, outside of the United States itself, of course, with a club or two in Mexico, a clubs that are in the Middle East, or there might be a club in Asia, even in Africa. I don't know. They don't value our process in our system when it comes to contracts here in major league soccer they value contracts here that is why in mls there is a collective bargaining agreement between the players and the leagues here in this country I don't know what goes on in, in Western Europe or Eastern Europe. I don't know if they do have a, a binding union contract between the leagues of England and the players that are in these unions. I don't even know if there is a union. Because it goes to show you that when you have a union here, what the players' union are, and they always talk with their respective leagues here this is why CBAs are done this is why CBAs are handled and I think there's barely a a CBA with players in other nations outside of the United States and Canada we all know the NFL, the Major League Baseball the National Basketball Association the National Hockey League they all have collective bargaining agreements There may not be labor peace with some of these leagues, but when the job gets done, the job gets done, and then we're all on the same level. This is why I keep saying this over and over and over again. This is why contracts everywhere else around the world are not worth the paper that they are being printed on. Because there's no real labor union with players and these respective leagues. And that is why you have the promotion relegation situation, and this is part of it. Because if you get promoted and you leave that said union, you go into the next union, and let's say your team gets relegated, and then you go back to the old union, well, what's going to happen? Personally, I don't know, but this is one of those things where, ergo, there is really no free market when it comes to players playing abroad or players who are playing in their so-called leagues, and you're allowed to get jerked around whatever you want. So until then, until then, we're going to have to wait and see what the Red Bulls will do. Ten to one, I think what's going to happen is they're just going to be um, stretching it out a little bit more at the end of the day. And this is just my opinion. There is no source on this one. This is just my opinion about this. I think at the end of the day, Kaku will remain in Saudi Arabia, and he will remain with al Tawan. And Altuan will probably have to give a financial compensation to both Major League Soccer and the New York Red Bulls, and then that will be the end of it. And for the New York Red Bulls, this is not their fault. This is the fault of Kaku, who just didn't want to be here anymore. He just wanted out He wanted out after 2018. He wanted out right after 2018. Tried to orchestrate a transfer with Club America. He thought that he can do it. Nope. Red Bulls dug their heels in. He stayed. And then he played in 2019, even though he's had his stupidity moments, of course. And then, of course, with the pandemic that started in 2020, it looked like he was off to a great start. It looks like things were going to go well. There was going to be no problems, but he wanted, still wanted out. And now he has forced the hand and made the transfer himself and left. This is the worst transfer in the history of the club. Not because he wasn't a good player. Not because he wasn't technically gifted, not because he did not do well on the pitch, but because of how he kicked and screamed and wanted to leave. After one year in MLS, he wanted to leave. Still wanted to leave after two years. Still wanted to leave after three years. He left on his own, working on a transfer on his own. So all I can say about Kaku is this. He is a failure. Could have done better. He could have stayed here and improved his play. Chose not to. And now he's over in Saudi Arabia. So all I can say is for the New York Red Bulls, someone's going to have to grow up a little bit quicker and be that maestro in the midfield. That's all I can say. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank my guests tonight, of course, Devin Kerr, analyst for USL Soccer, US Open Cup, and CONCACAF events through ESPN Plus and CONCACAF itself. David Rumsey of the Sports Business Journal joining me tonight as well. Thank you, gentlemen, for being on the show tonight. uh This Friday, MPSL Soccer Show, episode number two of 2021. we got so far Costa Curta, uh, Costa... Coming over, the owner, Gus uh, Laredo, and then we have the owner of the Georgia Revolution. And then, of course, we're waiting for others to sign up and come on the show for this coming Friday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. And then next Monday, boy, oh boy, boy, oh boy, episode number 500, the 500th episode of the Four Seasons Fire American Soccer Show. Gary Gazo Richards, former Fox Soccer analyst and Champion Soccer Radio Network executive producer, owner. Carter Krishnir, World Soccer Talk. We're going to have some special guests calling in. They don't know it. Only I know it. And we're going to have some fun. We're just going to talk football stories. We're just going to shoot the breeze, and we're going to have some fun, and all of you can just sit back, relax, get the popcorn, get the peanuts, make yourself a sandwich, make your favorite beverage, have a water, have a seltzer, have a soda, hell, have a beer. You never know. Enjoy yourselves. I hope you'll have a lot of fun. I hope you'll enjoy yourselves, and you know what? We're just going to have sit back, relax, we're just going to have some fun. I cannot wait. Once again, thank you to Devin Kerr and David Rumsey. This is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night, everyone. Take care. So long. Bye-bye for now. Talk to you on Friday night for the National Premier Soccer League show. Bye-bye for now.